Oh, nice. Like, wow, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why do we constantly end up like dating ourselves on this show? It's, it's my <laughs> That's favorite always. thing ever. Sweet. All right. Well, you know what? Let's just uh, let's just have a podcast here. What do you guys say? Fire away. Excellent. Well, uh, this is episode seventy-two of a podcast that is Gearbuds Podcast, and I'm Henry, and we've got Dave here. Hey there. Well, not here, but like somewhere, right? I'm somewhere. And uh, also, we have an amazing guest that I'm super excited to have on, old friend, Mr. Rob Gibson. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to talk about your amazing career that you've had in the in the music and, and sound and lighting and design world and all that cool stuff with, with what you're doing with So Midwest Inc. and and everything that's been going on there. Before we do that, we've got some segments that we like to to jump into every week. So we're just going to do that and get started with the Symphony of Corrections. Here is your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. I want to thank all of our listeners far and wide. Uh, you've been very, very uh, active lately, which is very cool. I love seeing that and just reposting stuff and commenting on the old Instagram, the old Facebook, Dave, as always, I just got to say, you know, killing it over on Facebook over Appreciate there, it, posting buddy. those memes, get, getting those people engaged. Yeah, man. Uh, trying to, some, trying to bring some light to the old Facebook world these days, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a demon hellscape. <laughs> uh, subscribe, Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google, all that shit. Um, we've got another one for the old, uh, gearbudspodcast.com slash free stuff this week. It is, a pretty cool plugin that I've actually spent some time using. Um, it's actually released by Eventide, but I believe a company called Newfangled Audio developed it originally. It's called Pendulate, and it's a, a free, uh, you know, AU or VST. I think they even have an AAX Pro Tools plugin, um, which is a it's a synthesizer. And uh, to call it a chaotic monosynth, which is what they described it as, is mm. I feel like um, underselling it a little bit because it's fucking cool as hell. It's basically what happens is you press one note and, and you can do all sorts of uh, tweaking and messing around with everything. But, you know, you just open up the default preset, press one note. And what happens is it, and it has a really nice sound to start with, but yeah. it does this thing where it, it, it smoothly, the oscillator smoothly fades from a sine wave into this just like, I don't even know what kind of wave, insanity. And uh, so it's like, it, it's really good for leads and pads and sound design and that kind of stuff. And it also, it isn't that sort of st- typical east coast style synthesis where you've got your filters and stuff kind of all lined up it's a little bit more uh, west coast bukla style so if you've never done anything with that it could be a nice free way to dip your toes in those waters hell yeah um yeah dave you gotta download that i know you just you just you just did a little upgrade on your end you got yourself a little logic x yeah i uh, i got officially paid for my uh my 90 day trial was over and i've decided to keep (laughs) i've decided to keep logic x and you know for 200 bucks I, i i've said this before on the podcast but you really can't go wrong. You can do as, as basic a stuff as, as you want, but I know Logic has some capabilities that I have not dug into yet, so uh, I'll, oh, be, yeah. I'll be looking forward to actually starting to download plugins. I think they weren't working because I didn't have a licensed version yet, yep. so um, yeah, I'm excited to start expanding what, what it can do. You're moving on up in the world, buddy. I know. Total Congratulations. Pro, total semi-pro Thank over you. here. <laughs> <laughs> semi-pro. Uh, I don't have any specific updates for the uh, weekly subsegment of bad fucking ideas. Although I did see That's that um, as we've been, yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately, as we were sort of tracking for a while, the whole Sturgis thing, uh, there has been a death now associated with that. A whole bunch of okay. uh, a whole bunch of other cases. So just like, don't go to fucking, don't go to stuff like that, please. Yeah. Uh, 
just Agreed. don't have that's a bad fucking idea a couple other things i want to mention real quick uh i noticed cme uh, our good friends chicago music exchange are doing a pretty major gear giveaway right now um i didn't write down any details but i'm pretty sure if you just go to chicagomusicexchange.com you can sign up or whatever but i noticed there was like a pretty cool sg was one of the things that they were giving away and a whole bunch of pedals and all the stuff the video a little cringy i'll be honest they're my <laughs> friends but i can be real it's uh the video wasn't my favorite thing they've ever done but the giveaway itself is pretty cool so if you haven't entered you should probably go do that nice uh figured i should mention this uh tame impala is doing a thing with reverb as well <clears throat> where they also have partnered with nalgene mm -hmm. and you can buy a 32 ounce wide mouth nalgene bottle uh, that says tame impala on it but also uh, 15 dollars from the purchase go towards covid relief so cool. you know that's that's a pretty cool thing definitely go buy that if you need a water bottle and then uh rob this actually directly involves you i wanted to i wanted to bring this up this week anyways yeah. and it turns out to serendipitously just sort of have aligned um and this is something that we've been tracking for a while and trying to get people um to you know visit saveourstages.com and take action there but you um recently took up a major part in as far as I can tell, in uh, this Red Alert restart campaign that actually went down this past Tuesday uh, across the country and globe, I guess. Yeah. Um, I know that it was something like more than 1,500 venues lit up their uh, external uh, sort of features uh, to be read, to bring awareness to this idea that the entire live sound and music world, the production world, um, is kind of fucked right now. And without some serious government support, um, these places are not going to be able to reopen. So I'm, I would love to hear sort of like your involvement in that and, and, and sort of how you got involved and, and what that was like uh, working with those people. Yeah, right. Well, uh, we started out with that. Uh, it was actually a movement in the UK that they put together right. to basically raise the same awareness there. Um, you know, it blows my mind that when I go on my social feed, it's literally nothing but despair and people out of work and, you know, no idea when anything's going to come back to life or we can plan, you know, like really forecast any work. Right. <laughs> um, yep. We work with uh, a band called Train, uh, and they mm -hmm. had a scheduled tour for 21 that they've now pushed to 22. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, wow. so it's already, like, that far out. So it all started, we have this uh, industry podcast once a week on Wednesdays, and everybody kind of was sitting there going, like, we should do something. And so we did. And uh, it came together really quick in 13 days. And, um, you know, we kind of had regional managers. It was actually originally scheduled for the 27th. And then somebody popped up and said, hey, we probably shouldn't turn a bunch of buildings red on the night that Donald Trump accepts the uh, nomination from his party. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Good call. <laughs> so wow. then we changed it to the first. And, um, yeah, it was really fun. The Chicago regional director was another fellow colleague, and he sort of reached out and asked if I could do the museum campus. And I said, mm -hmm. you know, right now, downtown's pretty empty, so we're going to sit down there for four hours with some lighting fixtures pointed at the planetarium and the aquarium, and no one's going to see it, and it's not going to matter. So right. we kind of developed this idea of a pirate ship that we would strap a generator and a bunch of lighting fixtures to on a pickup truck. And we just drove around doing all the places. Wow. That's so cool. That's cool, man. Yeah. Where, um, did, where did you, what, what places did you hit up? Well, we started out at the Metro, uh, mm -hmm. cruised down to the Vic, 
they hit a couple theaters there on the north side. Um, went down to the Merchandise Mart. Uh, hit up the Prudential Center, Chicago Theater, a bunch of the other theaters downtown. Yeah. Uh, went by Wintrust, Soldier Field. Um, a lot of the other venues that I'm leaving out were obviously like already being handled by other teams. Okay, so we sure. were just trying to fill in the gaps. But, you know, we projected a logo, took some photos and images and, you know, put together some videos and just try to help the effort. There was a live stream happening um, mm -hmm. during the whole thing based out of Seattle. So they did like check ins in each city. And, you know, the metrics that we captured on Wednesday were pretty good. We reached over two million people. Oh, wow, um, that's amazing. Awesome, yeah, we had um, just under 2,000 live viewers at one point, I think was the highest. And, you know, we have a couple of people in the business that are um, connected, well-connected politically. And they sort of heard from their senator friends at the country club that like, okay, enough, we hear you. And, you know, your writing campaigns are working and we're, you know, um, kind of aware of the few bullet points that I can mention that, you know, this business, your business, my business, all of live and events is 12 million people in America. Jeez. And it's about an economic impact of about $1 trillion a year. So, you know. Um, Not to mention the cultural impact, of course. Cultural yeah, of course. Right. But, you know, people like to quantify things in uh, dollars and cents and number of votes. Yeah. So um, when you're working in that realm you have to kind of be prepared to get to the meat real quick mm -hmm. yeah absolutely. Uh, um so the restart act is interesting um nothing really happens in government without there being some flaws but the biggest thing that we need bef regardless of the unemployment kicker or the ppp and you know that kind of stuff is mm -hmm. we need a sort of federal identification so mm. You and I aren't long enough to remember this, but when the airline industry was fledgling, planes used to crash all the time, right? Right. And so the owner of the plane airline company would go to his investors and go, I have this great business plan. Here's my three-ring binder. Uh, just gloss over that part where we crash all the time and there's a huge exposure <laughs> to liability. Um, you know, and the basis of it is that there could be no business plan if they didn't have... And, for the airline, it's worldwide. So when you buy a ticket and you get on Expedia and you get excited because you're going to Cancun, somewhere deep in the small print, it says if this thing hurls out of the sky, you're getting 10 grand. And you're not getting 10 grand. Your family's getting 10 grand. Mm -hmm. okay. But that's it. That's the limit. Mm -hmm. And so part of this restart act for live events will sort of limit liability for promoters if you go to a show you're agreeing that you're accepting the risk and you're going to get, you know, a pandemic or a virus or a COVID or, I don't know, sexually transmitted disease, whatever, you know, whatever it is, you can't sue them. And then that's the mm -hmm. only, because right now, if you're Joe Shanahan, you can't get insurance for a show. If you're Jam or Live Nation or AG right. or any of the promoters, none of the insurers that you normally buy insurance from will underwrite you. Right. I did not know that. Holy shit. Yeah, too big of an exposure. So that's a big part of it. 
Dude, that is, I mean, thank you for uh, explaining that so much more. And also for for all the, obviously, you know, pro bono hard work that you put into it. It's it's very important um, for for you and and us and everyone right now. Um, So if you haven't already, definitely please, um, if you are uh, able to, as we were talking about, obviously, there's a lot of politics involved with this, and, and politics, unfortunately, these days involves money. So if you are in a position where you can actually donate to these causes, that would be incredible. If not, you know, use your voice. There are, there are again, on SaveOurStages.com, there are these tools that you can use to easily reach your local congresspeople so that they know that th- this is an important issue. And, um, you know, it sounds like they're, they're hearing that, but it couldn't hurt to, to keep pushing on it some more. Well, you so, know, it, it's funny to me because unlikely – suspects have all sort of joined forces, right? Like people that we bid against or compete with all the time, um, you know, have sort of gone and joined together, right? Because we're all literally Mm -hmm. in the same boat. Um, And, you know, with that, sort of like NAM has become our uh, national focus. And, um, you know, so that's been a great thing. They have lobbyists and they're connected and they can do stuff and, you know. Well, we're um, we're definitely sad that the the show, I think we mentioned, but, you know, if not, obviously the the 2011 winter show has already been officially canceled. Um, So that's, that's, uh, it's the right move, but it's still definitely a bummer for those of us that like to go and, and, or have to go. And it's just an important uh, event every year. Mm -hmm. So definitely, um, definitely good work there. Let's let's keep it up and, and keep on pressing on on the people who with the power to make these things happen yeah i mean you know unfortunately like i said there's some things that people will ha- take issue with in the bill um you know you're probably going to fund a bison yeah, head right. for a library somewhere in nebraska as good well old, as save our barrel uh, politics there <laughs> um well, yeah, that's uh, that's our little, little <laughs> politics talk for the week, and uh, with yeah, sorry, oh no, it's, no it's, it ties into everything they, these days. They, they so. should be they should be caring about that right yeah, now. Yeah, appreciate it. And uh, th- other things that they should be caring about that I care about, and that is uh, the, my favorite two words that I get to say every week when I throw it over to my buddy Dave for Dave's docs. Yeah, man, Dave's docs. Dave's docs. You watch one, man? Yeah, I did. It hit hard this week, man. Um, it was a good one. So I've never really gotten into this band. Um, I've, I've, I couldn't name more than one or maybe two songs. They terrified me as a young child with their videos. Um, but I watched a Twisted Sister documentary last night. And oh, uh, cool. I don't know if you've ever gotten into Twisted Sister before, if either of you guys all. have. They, Come on, feel the noise. That's it, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're not going to take it, you know. So this. Oh, doc- no, yeah, that's Quiet Riot. See, I'm that wrong. I, I got the wrong fucking band. Yeah. it's Dude, <laughs> I actually mix up Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister all the time, too. I don't know why that is. Um, but this... Dude, I have a newfound respect for this band, man. I, you know, D. Snyder, he always kind of pops up in documentaries and like interviews and stuff. So you kind of see the guy around. Um, but this was very a f- uh, eloquent, loquacious fellow. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, and so it's it's a it's a fully authorized documentary. It's it's him and the guitar player, the the lead guitar player, J.J. French, who was actually kind of like the second front man of the band. Um, so this documents the early years in the band, kind of when they formed. They went through pretty much. Every band member eventually left at some point. I think JJ was like, he joined a few guys and then they left and then he kind of started, but they kept the name Twisted Sister going and they were really influenced by, you know, uh, you know, uh, David Bowie and Lou Reed and uh, New York Dolls in kind of that, you know, cross-dressing kind of like put on makeup and just be as outlandish as you can on stage in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Well, they never got a deal and they started playing like bar gigs, but they never lost that that kind of glam rock angle that they were going for. Um, this band worked harder. I mean, I'm not kidding you, dude. 
they did a circuit that was basically uh, kind of East Coast, New York area based, but not in the city. They would only play like Long Island. They would play out in Jersey. And there were these five or six clubs. These guys would just literally every single night, probably five or six nights a week, they would play for two to four hours a night. And they would get paid, um, you know, mm-hmm. cash money. And everything they did was just like a marketing marketing genius. And they never got into, um, they never had a deal. Like they basically played for, I think it was seven straight years before they got signed by a small label in, in London. And then there's a, a branch in London for Atlantic. And then they ended up picking them up. And that's kind of where the movie ends. So they didn't even get into like when they're actually Whoa. really famous. Yeah, so it was only like them struggling. Dude, I've never, I mean... I can't think of the last time I've heard about a band playing is they were just a bar band. You know, they would do covers. They had their own songs. They never had a record. I mean, they literally never had a record until they, until they signed with Atlantic, like a really, they did some demos and stuff. Um, but they never had a record that they could distribute. And then when they finally got it, they sold like three and a half million copies. So, you know, they were just this hard, hard, hardworking, like kind of like the working man's band type of thing, which is ironic because they, dress just insane like you know it makes you mm-hmm. uncomfortable i mean if if anyone's seen old pictures of d snyder like you know with the makeup he's he's uh just one of those men that just does not pull off wearing a ton of makeup on his face he's a terrifying looking individual you know he wears like you know f- uh six foot or six inch platforms he's like eight feet tall on stage it's crazy and they were they were even talking about like because i think they didn't get signed until like 82 and like 1980 rolls around they're starting to really burn out man they're like come on guys we've been at this for like you know five or six years now um kiss has already like washed off their makeup like i think that was when kiss came out in the early 80s and they're like this is what was we actually the, the, the lick it up era yes exactly so they were like they were yeah they were like even kiss like doesn't you know wear makeup anymore this is crazy but they stuck to what they believed in as far as their stage performance and honest to god man they were incredible live like really they showed a lot of footage in this movie of them playing when they were young young guys man and they were absolutely unstoppable they had this kind of this kind of fire that you kind of have when you first start playing in bands where you almost want to be better than any other band you're playing with on the bill. You know, it's more of like a, almost like a battle of the bands in your own mind, you know, even if you're friends with the guys and stuff. And uh, they went out there every night and just, just tried to destroy the crowd. And they did. Um, so it was honest to God, I think the, the hardest working band that never got signed new respect for twisted sister. The movie's called we are twisted sister. It's available on prime. Um, I think it was actually originally called we are fucking twisted sister, but I think they, they adjusted that to, you know, probably get, probably get it out there to people more, but, um, all right, Dave, well, what's your, uh, totally, totally arbitrary ranking. For yeah, this, man. Uh, uh I'm going to give it a, whew, I'm going to give it a, a strong 7.3 out of eight shades of lip gloss. Oh man. Yeah. 7.3. That's a great so ranking. Any way, any way you slice it. Yeah, man. That's uh, it's up there, man. I'm, I'm telling you guys, uh, it's on prime. It's a long one too. It's like two hours, which kind of turned me off sometimes. I'm like, I don't really want to sit here for two hours and watch this. And I was sucked in, man. It was, it was really cool. And the best part, like I said, was once they get signed, the movie basically ends. So that's the craziest part about this to me, yep. because you'd feel like that would be where like the meat is. Yep. No, they, they literally go to the point and you know me, I love the early story. I love the backstory. I love the struggle. And, um, you know, they basically at the end, it's just like text comes up on the screen and they're like, then they sold 3 million copies and then they went and toured the world. And, you know, then they broke up for this time and they got back together in the 2000s and that kind of stuff. So they, they just wrap it up really quick. But uh, for the meat of the movie, it was really, really cool to see to see people working that hard. It really makes me miss playing music, man. I got to say, like I would do anything to think that there were bands 
that could just go out there and play six nights a week, right? No questions oh, asked. Fuck. Be the house band of, of six different venues, six nights a week, and then um, and just do that circuit for, for, for six or seven years. Um, it just it blows my mind that we, you know, we can't even get out and play a simple show nowadays. So the things we take for granted sometimes, you know? You said it, brother. Yep, so there you good have one, it. Good one, man. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, very good. Time for, uh, maybe time for a little riff library. What do you got That's, for us uh, today? Every week where I talk about one of my favorite records. Uh, this one, this is an interesting one. You know, I'll, I'm, I'm not sure if uh, either of you, will, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. I feel like of, of some of my all-time favorite records and, and artists, this is probably one of the sort of more under the radar or, or not, as, uh, not as hyped uh, artists. And this is a record that came out <clears throat> in 2006 on Warner Brothers. I think, he, I want to say, I believe he was on Matador before this. It's his fifth record and it is Cornelius Sensuous is the name of the album. Okay. Are either of you uh, Cornelius fans? I've heard the name. No. Uh, oh, well, let me tell you a couple two couple two tree things about it here. Uh, this is so it's uh, he's a Japanese dude. Uh, his real name's Kaigo Oyamada. He uh, goes by Cornelius. Before that, in the '90s, he was in a band you may or may not have heard of called Flippers Guitar. They were kind of like sort of well known in that sort of weird '90s indie rock world. Took the name Cornelius from Planet of the Apes. Um, He's had songs that you might have heard. I know that he wrote a song that was in like Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most people that that uh, talk about him and his music t- sort of you, you you hear it called a lot of different things like um, experimental pop eccentric shit or like compared to beat uh, the Beach Boys or back. Mm-hmm. Um, this record in particular, Sensuous, so it was like he, I think, like I said, it's his fifth album, and, he, and there were sort of like these like weird five-year gaps in between each of them, and then after this one, there was an 11-year gap until 2017 when his next record came out. Um, but so this one uh, really focuses on, if you're listening to it, it is, it's this kind of, it's, it's, it's a really great album to listen to if you have got, if you've got like a really awesome hi-fi setup or some nice headphones or whatever, there's a lot of, a lot of that sort of like ear candy wow stuff, but he does a lot of this composition with soloed components where you'll it's sometimes it can sound maybe like a little over quantized for lack of a better term but he'll basically what write what sounds like sort of a a pop song go through add all these different crazy counter melodies and 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 syncopations and then like delete the main song underneath it so it's like all this i don't know if that's actually how he composes but that's kind of what it sounds like to me um it's just man i i can't even describe it it's if you're if you're at all interested in listening to this, I would just start with the top of the record and, and, and go from there. But like fit song, breeze and gum, music, those are probably the like the best songs on there. Now, so I don't want to talk about the music too much in itself because I feel like it's better if you just go and listen to it. But I want to talk about the actual physical copy that I have because um, this, the point of Riff Library is I pretty much only talk about records that I own on vinyl. And this mm-hmm. is easily near the top of the most rare and expensive things that i've ever spent um, oh, really? stupid money on in the past yeah so i i don't believe if i if my research if i recall my research correctly i don't believe that this was ever the vinyl was ever released in the u.s um it was japanese only so i had to get it there and um it was very limited to begin with um and the copy that i have is not only in excellent to near mint but it's also signed by by Ooh. him itself on the front so um, it took me literal years. Every record store I've ever gone into, I've asked if they had it. I had a Discogs you know, alert set mm-hmm. to let me know if it ever came up. And finally it came up, and it was kind of a ridiculous amount of money. But then when I saw the quality and, and the fact that it was signed, I was like, all right, I've got to get this. So I do have that on vinyl. But the other thing I want to talk about, and, and this is I – I, I don't know for sure I'm going to have to double-check this, but I believe that 
between the record and what I'm about to talk about, I have spent more money on this album than any other album of all time because I also own what's called Sense Around. So the, again, the record's called Sensuous, mm -hmm. but at the same time, he released a CD-DVD combo that includes a custom animated music video for every single song on the record, cool. which are fucking awesome, by the way. The videos are so cool. And there's a, another CD just full of B-sides. And this was another thing that just, you know, if I... If I had been smart enough to buy it in 2007 or whatever when it came out, it would have just been like normal price. But now, if you can even find it, it's definitely oh, I'm sure. on the on the more uh, the more expensive side of things. Did but you man, ever, it, uh, did you ever get to see him live? So good. No, man. There was I was supposed to have gone uh, gone to see him on the Mellow Waves tour, which was 2017, and there was for some there was some tragic tragedy that happened in my life that i was not able to go mm. um and you know what i if, if i recall correctly i think it was he didn't even do like a full u.s tour he might have only played you know a few nights in new york i don't remember the details on that i just know that the, for some reason i couldn't go and i was very very upset about this mm -hmm. um but yeah go check it out i mean i think point and phantasma maybe are records that i don't know if i would say that people think they're better but they might have had a little more attention paid to them than than sensuous mm -hmm. um and then again after this record came out there was like this 11 year break where he did music for like i said for scott pilgrim and like ghost in the shell and stuff like that but wasn't releasing records under his 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 name proper and right. it's just something that from top to bottom i love every single song on it it makes me feel good it's there are there are some like pretty harder rocking moments that happen but a lot of it is a little more sort of like pop or dancey or like these sort of uh or orchestral pop uh things that happen all by him you know and and it, and it sounds it sounds like the work of one person it did you're not going to ever think that you're listening to like a full band playing in a room or something right like that. right very cool man yeah yeah man awesome right? um the last thing i'll say about it i noticed that as i was actually looking at the record i don't know if i've ever seen another one where the uh slip cover itself like for the you know the cardboard cover of the record it's not a it's not a gatefold it doesn't open up but if you look inside the record there's or inside the the slip cover there's actual art on the inside of the slip cover that you can't really see <laughs> wow you wow. know it's That's it's yeah it's attention to detail of, <laughs> Lots of attention to detail here with this man. So yeah, check it out. I'm not going to try to tell you to go find it on vinyl because that's just a fool's errand, but <laughs> it is on Spotify okay. and all that good shit. Good good to hear. I'll throw it. I'll also make sure I'll put it up in the, uh, the Gearbuds uh, Spotify playlist. Good recommendation, man. I have to say the last few weeks I've, I've went and listened to, to your last few recommendations. They've all been great. So thank you. Here's a new one. Yeah, dude. All right. Well, that's enough about us. Let's, let's talk about Rob a little bit more let's here since oh, yeah, uh, you're hanging out. So, yeah. um, uh, we're going to uh, keep the uh, Chicago lingo going here and, and get into a couple two-tree randos, which is where I just ask you a couple random questions here to get started. Sweet. Uh, and this one this one will be interesting because, you know, generally speaking, we either have, like, you know, active musicians or, or, or uh, touring engineers and that sort of thing. And, and you're you're going to be able to sort of shine a whole different light on what you do, uh, pun intended, uh, with w w uh, in, in the music world. But um, I'm curious if you could swap places with any band member of any band, past or present, doesn't matter your uh, abilities or theirs or anything like that. If you could just, like, choose to be in any band of all time, what would that band be? Uh, oh, wow. I don't know. Probably the Get Up Kids. Oh, uh, nice. interesting. Right? Uh, yeah. You know, like, I don't know, man. It, you know, that they, and knowing them through that whole, like, late 90s, early 2000s scene, and then, you know, we had them when I worked for Incubus, we had them as a support band, and they were, like, playing some bigger rooms, and just, I don't know, they were, always did it really cool, really well, and they always seemed to have fun, you know, unless James DeWeese totally. was, like, destroying himself on stage, and, you know, it was all falling <laughs> apart. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good one. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, what was your first concert? Uh, I actually saw Motley Crue on the Theater of Pain tour in 1986 or 85. It would have been the second year. You know, they were like a, a machine in those years, right? They would put yeah, out an yeah, album man. and tour for two years and then reinvent themselves, yep. put out an album two two years. So, yeah, so... My old man, you know, decided that it was cool to take like an 11 year old to uh, the Saginaw, Michigan Civic Center <laughs> wow. and uh, see the Theater of Pain tour. Tommy Lee, big piano moment, loved it. Oh, oh man, God, the rest man. is history for sure. Yeah. That would be, you know, I, like, I, whatever. Your listeners I think might have to go like... Google who that was, but, you know, it's cool. <laughs> I, I don't that. know Dude. i mean that's the thing like crew rules, I, I would man. never say i've been like the biggest crew fan but god damn that would have been a cool show to go to. they yeah. were so good live man they right. were just like unstoppable live so i'm sure that's that was, badass that, yeah. that i mean that could just springboard you into into loving music at that point you know if that's the first concert you've ever seen oh dude i mean i you know it's weird because like when i was a, a kid so i have kind of a weird growing up i was born in michigan i lived uh we moved to alabama when i was like a baby and so, and then we moved back up north um, when I was eleven. So mm. you know, it was like big, just like cultural dynamic shift. And I, yeah, and I wasn't really ever into music. But when I moved up north, I really got shunned from you know all the kids in school because I was like a weird, chubby kid that spoke weird. So mm. you know, I found like the people that were trying to have a band, and you know, they were the accepting group and you know that's where it all kind of began oh yeah we've all got to have those people yeah uh speaking of the past or the future yeah if you had a time machine where would you go i don't know uh <laughs> 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 uh you know a couple different places and in, in times for different reasons i don't know i feel like 60s yeah. america was cool, but like maybe I have this like you know golden perspective of it, but it just seemed like innovation, and you know obviously like it was on the forefront of you know changing the shittier parts of America. They were just getting started with civil rights, and you know like seemed like JFK was pretty would be pretty cool to hang out with, you know. But mm -hmm. maybe yeah. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Maybe I'm just you know making it all glossy, and it would have sucked. But you know, ultimately, but that that's the that's the benefit of the time machine. You can go find for yourself. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. So I think you know, probably just go back in time. I don't know. Maybe go back to like 1992 and like be like tell myself like, hey, invent Google. And <laughs> <laughs> that's a good go answer. Full man. hot tub like time that. machine right yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, good one. See, uh, or Dave, you know, we haven't uh, we haven't done this one before. What would uh, where would you go? Yeah, this is a new one for us. Um, oh. Yeah, I, you know, I really liked your answer with the '60s, you know, Americana. Um, you know, I would, I would just love to go see music from that era. Yeah. You know, uh, somehow, you know, plot myself right on the side of the stage at like Woodstock or something like that, um, or you know, one of these, one of these insane like Beatles shows or The Doors. You know, at, but not Altamont. Right. Not Altamont. I'll pass on that. Yeah, that stage wasn't even big enough to have a side stage. That was like a. Right. It was like a. They were standing on like a card table. Um, well, like go do it yeah, before so I, before it was a business, right? Like before it was like a marketing push yeah. and a, how we're going to brand it. And it was just people 
you know, they were people. inventing the business basically, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly right. Man. Making yeah. all the mistakes. It'd be so cool to see that. But like you said, I mean, there's, you, you made a really interesting point. If, if you went back and you realized it wasn't as nostalgic as you thought it would be, or, or it didn't have that kind of flair that maybe it's it, that you've seen in movies or in documentaries, that would be kind of a bummer too. You know, it's like right. meeting your hero and then you find out he's like an asshole or something like that. So that's <laughs> yeah. a good, uh, that's a good little twist on it. What about you, Henry? What do you think, man? Oh, what about me? What do you, uh, you want to go? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, look, I, I mean, I am, I am a student of history. So I, there are a lot of eras that I would probably be able to choose, but I think honestly, as, as a sort of futurist, I want to know what's going to happen. Ooh. Like obviously the, the, the situation that we're in right now, I would like to like figure out when the fuck that's going to end. But also, <laughs> I mean, realistically, I'd like to just go and I don't even know, maybe like 500 years in the future and just see like. It, does does this shit still exist? Like, are we still speaking English? Or you know, what right. what's like? What is the what's where did technology progress? Are we even still in in human form, or have we sort of progressed beyond that and moved on to just AI and inside right. you know, robots? Like, what what does the world look like in the future? I think that's 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 probably where I would have to go, uh, or just like oh yeah, I mean, or I mean, as the fucking gearbud angle, I would go to 1958 and just start buying Les Pauls. <laughs> oh yeah, and put the, put them in a, put them in a a climate controlled environment. Yep. Come back to 2020 and then just, you know, keep the best one, sell the rest. Yeah, yeah. dude, I totally nice. agree. Where would you, where would you hide them? Would you have to like bury them in a forest somewhere or something? Cause like, what if you put them in a structure and then it got like torn Oof. down? That's you know? a, I mean, that's a great question. Yeah. I think what I would have to do is try to rely on family. Like I'd go, uh, I'd try to find like my grandfather and be like, yo, listen, I know I'm like, I'm Henry the fourth, you're junior. Just like, you gotta <laughs> trust me on this yeah. one. Let's just like find a spot because they were in Chicago already and stuff. Okay. So like they would, you know, they would perfect that he and and I, I don't know the details, but the, there was there were there were connections to people. So I think he would he would know like if I needed to hide some shit. <laughs> I think if I could like convince my grandfather, like, hey, I know you're probably I don't even know what how like a teenager or something right yeah. now, but like, listen, we've got we've got some guitars to hide, dude. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know that maybe I should maybe I should write about it. It sounds like a something i i would watch that you know that's cool, your man. like that's, good... that's your like biff like going to the future and getting the sports scores and then becoming the, exactly like, yeah. yeah the that almanac just doing it with like guitars exactly yeah so far we've covered hot tub time machine and back to the future too yeah. so i guess like we Which can the, like just go, go most, back to hg wells i was gonna say two most relevant uh time traveling movies i'm sure <laughs> Uh, and I almost called you Steve earlier, Dave, because I was looking at the next question, and that yep. is a question that came from our guest two weeks ago, our our friend and yours, and I'm Rob. You, there's a good chance you also know Mr. Stephen Shirk, uh-huh. and uh, he wants to know. And this is, you know, this is, I have to admit, this is this question might not be particularly relevant to to your to your profession and field, but he wants he wanted to know, do you use EQ before or after compression? Hmm. Uh, I leave that to the audio department. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I, some, I know how to like EQ some things out and how to compress some like poopy stuff. You know, it, you know, it's funny because we've typically been just the visual part of the live experience. Um, but about two years ago, we worked on a project where we animated all of the digital backgrounds for baby shark live, which was like a a kid's like touring production. And we worked with a sound designer, uh, Ben, who was like, it was the first time ever that I had like just someone sitting in front of a pro tools rig, like where we would animate like a little wiggle and he would just 
quickly add the sound like reactionary to what we were doing visually. Sure. And oh, I was like, man, yeah, like re- next to real time. Like he would just be watching our comps and then just be like, oh, being, and he was so like just wow. amazing and on, you know, like all just editing on a laptop and like making all of the stems to put in the multi-track, you know, playback machine and just mm-hmm. that, you know, so I love when it's good when it's integrated, I guess is what mm-hmm. I would say. But like, hell yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good non-answer. I will accept yeah. it. Came, mm-hmm. and, and included it. a good story too. Uh, last question, and that is, what would you like us to ask our next guest? Oh, um, and you don't get to know who it is. Yeah. Well, I would say, um, let's see, what's a good like sound guy question? You know, it doesn't even have to be. I mean, we've literally had someone. No, yeah, ask, but I, uh, I feel like it may take your Crocs on or off before sex. Oh, okay. <laughs> you gotcha. Know, it's totally whatever. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I don't want to get myself in trouble. So, <laughs> uh, how many plugins can you add to a signal path digitally before it just turns into white noise? Oh, wow. that's a yeah. good one. That sounds like that sounds like a challenge. Because like me. what's I always know. what's always happening? Like I'm out front, you know, in the gig trying to like do whatever I'm doing at the last minute, and then there's just like three or four sound engineers talking about like, oh, did you get this UAE? Oh, I got the this and the that and the this and the that, you know, and then, and then you get like the Dave Ratz of the world who, you know, owns a touring audio company, you know, and it's uh-huh. just like every plugin does nothing but make everything louder, <laughs> you know, and just, and they, you know, it's such a ingrained thing and it's like, do you do inboard plugins, outboard plugins? So yeah, so like, yeah, you know, yeah, that would be yeah, my that's question. That's a good one. Man. And, like and that's that funny one, too because uh, I've actually been uh, Dave Rad has been doing quite a bit more on YouTube lately, yeah. so I've been watching a lot of his stuff and he's just like, yeah, cuz he is. I mean, he he owns this giant worldwide production company, but he's still just like this like West Coast audio dude. And he's like, you know, I'm just going to like tell you how it is, man. Yeah, no, he's uh, Dave Rad. I've I've met him a few times through the years and he's a he's a really good really good guy. That makes me happy to hear yeah. for sure. Well, Rob, you already gave us a little bit of your background and history of getting into music and that sort of stuff, but let's uh, let's bring it back there a little bit. So, did you? Did, so, I, I'm assuming you you played some played some instruments uh, with this band. What did you What did you get started with? Yeah, so uh, played guitar, uh, played bass, uh, mainly those two things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just real terrible, real terrible music, um, and sort of the the thing was, you know, so this is like. 89, 90, 91. And, you know, all of our inspiration was like music videos and MTV. And I think we all identified early on that like we weren't ever going to be good. So Mm. what we needed to do was like look good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that that, that was going to be our. That's the twisted sister approach, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Full circle. There you go. Yeah. So, you know, like. we were looking at all of the music videos and things and just imagery and going like, man, they just have a lot of car headlights just like all around <laughs> them. You know, it's like, we got to get some car headlights. So down the way was like a junkyard. And so me and this guy, Randy Anders hopped a fence and got in there and got some car headlights and brought them home to my mom's basement and, you know, hmm. uh, took some wire from a lamp and like twisted the wires around the two posts on the car headlamp. And, um, plugged it in and it blew up, right? So yeah, we we're like, right. oh man, well these must be junky because they're from the junkyard. So we went <laughs> right. and got some more and we did this probably like four or five times and then we got popped. We got, you know, in trouble. 
and mm-hmm. we had to do community service through like a probationary thing. And one of the things, it was just like a sheet of paper. It was like, you know, pick up trash on the side of the road, whatever. And one of the things was go to this theater and just like paint door frames and, you know, clean up gumdrops off the floor. And um, I was in there doing that. I was like scraping milk duds from under the seat vents or whatever. And there were these dudes on stage and they had car headlights and they like, you know, plugged them in. And they turned on and they didn't explode. And so, you know, they didn't explode. They didn't explode. Yeah. So I was like, you know, cruise down there to the front of the stage and go, hey, how come when you plug those in, they don't explode? (laughs) And they like, look at me. I'm literally here right now because of this. Yeah. And they were like, well, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you know, we were getting our own car headlights. And they're like, this is, you know, a stage light fixture. It's 120 volts. A car headlight runs on 12 volts. He goes, but if you got. 10 car headlights and wired them in series it would series up to 120 volts and it would turn on and i we immediately like left right as we could (laughs) went and got more headlights (laughs) wired them up turned on had the sun on put them under our drummer on this like rickety thing that we made to you know put the drum kit up i actually funny story so i kicked the drummer of our band out because he had a pearl export five piece drum set mm-hmm. and he got he bought a second hand kick drum as a second kick drum but it didn't have the little connector between the two lugs and i was like dude that kick drum doesn't match like it had uh-huh. like the short lugs without the like chrome piece in between and i was like that's it you're out of the band and um wow. yeah well that's <laughs> how that's how like stringent i was on the visuals you know just yeah, drove me yeah. crazy and then you know all these years later i'm still as my employees, I'm still a nitpicky, detail-oriented, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> crazy dude. So, yeah, so that, that sort of led to, you know, they obviously saw that I had an interest in it at the theater. And they were like, if you want to work with this stuff and you keep coming back for free, uh, you know, past your 30 hours or whatever, we'll, we'll teach you. And it was a great place because it was really old. It had a ton of antiquated mm. equipment. And I sort of got to learn from the ground up. Like, we fixed everything you know, we soldered, we wired, we reconditioned. Yeah. yeah. So I got a good background in that. And it just, it was like that little thing with that math clicking in for me that I just got bit by the bug. And then, you know, yeah. it was a small town on the Western shore of Michigan. So it was like, there wasn't a lot of competition. You kind of were the one, you know, so all through high school. And then by the time I was driving, I was working with the stagehands union in Grand Rapids, Michigan you know, like doing real shows, like, you know, no doubt 1996 arena shows. Yeah. Like working as a local stagehand, but like meeting everybody in this fledgling business. And that was sort of right at the genesis of moving lights. I mean, the first moving light really came out in like 89. So it was only five or six Mm. years that that technology had been out. And so I just, I did not realize that was such a recent technology. Yeah. 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 The first one was a, a Genesis actually, the first like real viable commercial thing was made by a company called Verilite uh, out of Dallas, Texas, and Genesis fronted the money for them to develop it. And the, it was like I think it was '86 in a bull ring in Madrid, and all the lights turned on and they moved, and like literally the show stopped and the audience like gasped. And now you would yeah. have to do like a hologram of like Megan the Stallion to make that happen or something yeah, live from right. jail. You Jesus, know? Jesus comes down from above <laughs> and people are like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like, but yeah. it was, it was such a cool time to be 
getting into the business and um you know what brought me to chicago was obviously verilite had a depot here and columbia college and i just you know i moved here when i was 17 straight out of high school and it was like i got to get out of this rust belt town and you know i've never left dude so uh obviously you've done a lot of stuff since then you've mentioned kind of some of the some of the big things so what what was the next step like did you did you hit the road yeah so i how did you you do next i went to school uh in the summers i was interning at a at a lighting shop uh and to you know kind of quickly like the the ruse there is like you go and you know polish cable in the back of the shop for a while and if you know anything you know finding somebody who can like walk and chew gum at the same time and can hold Mm -hmm. their life together and go on a tour is is not that easy of a task, you know? So pretty much if you're, if you're good and you're interested and you care, you're going to get sent out on the road, you know, within Mm -hmm. like six weeks. So that happened. And, um, it was actually great. One of the first tours I ever did was Tom Jones. And this is like 97 and we did two shows a week and we stayed in four seasons hotels and we like and i was like <laughs> oh. man this is this touring thing's pretty cool you know like yeah. this is life. it's <laughs> always <laughs> like this right <laughs> yeah right and then you know the next tour i did was like cash money millionaires all stars and it was like you know chaos constant chaos <laughs> so um but yeah so uh was working doing my thing and then uh was on ozfest in 20 i want to say 2008 2000 2001 yeah 2000 and uh, a band that was and it's still to this day i play guitar and you know interested in amps and guitars and stuff and um but there was a band that was playing at like 3 30 in the afternoon right ozfest used to be this big festival tour and they'd have like band music oh, yeah. starting at noon you oh know? yeah right yeah. i went to a few of those so i walked up to a guitar player you know who had like four foot of stage space in front of like limp biscuits you know set and yeah. I was talking to him about, I mean, he just had like a hundred guitar pedals, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh. And he was super cool, dude. We were talking and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn the light board. Um, I know it's daytime outside, but if, if it'd be cool with you, I'd like to do lights. And he's like, oh, that'd be awesome. You know, sometimes it's dark in here and we, you can still kind of see. And, you know, we asked somebody else if we could, they do the lights and they wanted a hundred bucks a show and like, we're in a van and. You know, that's not a reality. So, um, yeah. and I was like, well, dude, I'll totally do it. And then, so his name, uh, was Mike Isinger and his band uh, was called dude. Incubus. Oh yeah. And they, they <laughs> wrote a song. One of my all-time favorite bands. Yeah. So, so they wrote a song called Drive that ended up selling like mm-hmm. a one trillion copies or something. And when they, you know, rode that rocket ship to fame, they were like, yo, you're our lighting guy. And so. Wow, dude. That's yeah. Nice. So, um. You know, how long did you spend touring with those guys? So until 2012 was oh, the wow, last tour crazy. I did with them. Long time. Yeah. yeah, and the the thing is, you know, Brandon, the singer. I mean, I would still work with them. We're still friends. Um, the he wants the lighting and visuals person to be on the road with them, and it's not a it's not a right. terrible ask. It's just with all of the other things that we're doing, I can't be like, all right, you guys hold down the fort. Uh, the right. number one person responsible for running the whole deal is going to just go gallivant around the world with a band for a while. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I wish keep things running. Don't fuck it up. Yeah. I wish I could get it to that point, but it just isn't. And yeah. you know, the other thing is like, because drive and all the subsequent albums sold 60 billion copies, they, they don't actually work that frequently. They're like, ah, tour leave. 
Yeah, yeah. They don't need to. Yeah. yeah. Do I have to leave Santa Monica? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That was that's, uh, that's actually man. one of the, one of the questions that I, I was very curious about too. Because I mean, you know, obviously I know you uh, some of your some of your work in the past and stuff. But like as a as a lighting visual designer. Uh, can you have multiple clients at a time? Like, can you commit to someone like Incubus, but then still go out and do the follow-up boy stuff? I know you've done. Like, how does how does that all work? Right. Well, you know, it it sort of goes from you're just being like a light guy, right? So the the same genesis of like moving lights. So around I would say two thousand four, five, six. You know, the most the biggest visual impact thing stopped becoming beams of light in the air and started becoming video content. And, yeah, you sure. know, surfaces and projections and those kind of things. Right. And I, I just saw the writing on the wall. I was like, I have to learn video editing and rendering and modeling and compositing now mm-hmm. because the, the being the guy that just flashes beams of light in the air isn't going to be like a very needed thing in the future. You know, mm-hmm. and now we're all the way to the point where we're doing like augmented reality, you know, shoots mm-hmm. where we're just green screening and performers over the internet into like virtual worlds. And, you know, I, I can't even imagine what it'd be if I was just trying to be a lighting guy. Yeah. But, right, right. So, you know, no. So like as the business grew and the, the diverse, you know, markets that we work in, um, we typically will design all of the visual elements. We'll go out for the first week worth of shows and rehearsals and get it together. And then we'll, have uh, a position called a a lighting director or, you know, a media server operator sort of run it. I mean, most of the bigger things that we do now are all to a time code track anyway. So all of the events are automated and you really just need someone to maintain it and update the positions and change rasters and things, you know, per any venue adjustment. So, and and that's the, it's gone, it's shifted from being like the light guy to, you know, being more of just a company and a, a production partner with that, you know, company. And, you know, it, with that, some of our other clients, we now direct the music videos or we design the album artwork and we kind of all, you know, putting together merch designs, you know, all of it, right. it to be cohesive. Cause you know, the real answer is that you only have 60 seconds worth of somebody's attention anymore. So like you've got to hit them with yep. the t-shirt, the poster, the CD art, yeah. you know, the, yep. the iTunes artwork, the visual, the stage show, you know, it all needs in the Instagram clip, you know, it's all got to be like constant reinforcement. Totally. It makes, makes perfect sense to me. <clears throat> so, I mean, obviously you mentioned the, the fact that a lot of this stuff is just coded in time code at this point, but I want to know, because I'm, I, I mean, I've, I've had to like, you know, push some, push some faders around on a little lighting board before, but I, I basically, I know nothing about this whole world. Yeah. So for, for, for me, for Dave, for our listeners, can you sort of like, Give us just like a quick sort of rundown. What like is D- is is DMX still a thing? Like what what <laughs> it, like even even in like a smaller venue, or whatever. Like what it, what it, what it, what's going on with lights and and say like a small five hundred person club. Like what is it? What does a normal sort of rig look like for something like that? Yeah, I mean you know so typically there's some sort of like I mean we we have a basic need right. We need to illuminate the stage so that the audience knows where to look. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> like we're directing focus. You you crack open a lighting design book and it's like there's kind of seven tenets of lighting. It's like establish the environment, you know, direct the focus and attention, you know, those sort of things. So, yeah. you know, there's always going to be some kind of illumination. Some some gigs have 
cared more and some have just, you know, put a hodgepodge of stuff up. You know, sometimes there's like a dude with a balding ponytail and a fanny pack that shows up at like <laughs> 530 and he's like the sound and light guy, right? And he like runs the lights yep. on top of a fuzzy like outboard EQ rack. You know, exactly. that's like got cigarettes from the 70s in it or something. Yep. But C- Completely oh, yeah. covered in carpet. No doubt <laughs> yeah, about it. No doubt. Nothing grosser than like a club rack and covered in carpet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I think venues, because they're all, we're all vying for the audience's attention, right? And so, you know, if you can, and nowadays it's like with the more modern technology, it's like, brighter, uh, deeper colors, LED, right? It saves you electricity and then you don't have to put as much air conditioning in, right? It's all tied together Mm -hmm. that way, maintenance periods and that that sort of stuff. But typically most bands, you know, the minute that they grow into like a bandwagon past like a van and trailer are going to have some sort of, you know, production, you know, and to Mm -hmm. just some of the funniest stuff that I've seen throughout my years. But, you know, like in or just really great, things like this band Cruella a couple years ago just had like a bunch of LED sticks that were all zip tied together in like a giant bucky ball and they just threw it on the stage and however it ended up and then it just was like reacting to snare drum inputs you know high pass filtered to yeah. act as triggers and it was like it was dope and no no one did yeah, anything that's awesome. to it <laughs> um right so yeah DMX is still a control protocol uh we force it over IP now with a thing called mm-hmm. Artnet uh and, but, you know, if you're, if you're a band and, you know, I've had, I'm thinking now about, uh, one of the projects I worked on that was probably the coolest project of my life, uh, was this band called Slint. And, um, Oh, you did stuff with Slint? Yeah. So in 2003, no it was the, the reunion tour, right? And, yeah. um, oh, we, we've talked about Spiderland during an episode of the, the, the Riff Oh, sweet. Here, yeah. For sure. So my friend Botch Billions calls me. And he's like, hey, we need a lighting person, but, like, we need you to go out there and make sure that, like, show lights don't happen. Like, I was more of the lighting inhibitor (laughs) than I was, like, the lighting (laughs) doer. Like, they were so, dude, I mean, those poor dudes, they were so concerned, and kind of rightfully so, honestly, about, you know, they were like, should we even be trying to make money playing music and they were so concerned about like what people thought they were going to like be selling out the thing and the you know Mm -hmm. and i think this was like at the height of the hipster movement so like that just terrible you know sharp tongue of people um was a thing and like if your (laughs) listeners want to go uh back in the electrical audio archives and like see me getting slammed by steve albini for you know deciding what color shares hairpiece should be or whatever it's it's all (laughs) oh my god um and, you wow. know, but like in Corey from Touch and Go, like everybody was just really scared. And so, you know, I was talking to, um, it was it was amazing, but, you know, talking to Brit, the drummer, I mean, probably the best drummer musically I've ever met in my life, but would just like be, he'd be like, I got to leave rehearsal, man. I'm delivering Domino's pizzas tonight, you know, in that wow. sob. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, so, you know, that tour was amazing. But again, you know, it was, we were doing lights and that there was a purpose and there was a reason. And, you know, even the reason not to do it was the reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and then, you know, I remember I'd worked with uh, Alkaline Trio for a number of years and, you nice. know, we were doing small club tours. And I remember Tom Gable um, at the time, you know, had 
you know, Laura Jane had come up to me and was like, mm-hmm. it was like, lights are fucking what's wrong with this business. You know, like lights and staging and production and, you know, whatever. And he's like, I just want to turn it bright white. And I was like, well, you know, but that's the thing is like, that's your narrative. So like you have, that's your lighting design. So like as yeah, much as right. you want to be like crazy and tell me that you're anti everything, uh, actually this you still is have your, an idea. Th- yeah. Right. You're putting your thought into it, you know? And it was right. like, yeah. And then me and James would just go get fucking ham sandwiched on tons of Jameson. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You know, I'm I'm reminded of I'm reminded of a quote uh, to take it back to Rush. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Ah, yeah, very good. Yep, yeah. And so, you know, those those were all really pivotal and amazing uh, experiences. I just remember like yeah. cycling back to Brit. You know, his big thing was like he just didn't understand why stage lighting would ever make the stage dark, <laughs> and like you know, and Brian and Dave didn't want to be seen fucking at all like you know oh, and Br- yeah. so brit i just we brought a table lamp on tour and he just when he thought it was too dark and he couldn't see his drum heads he would just turn the table lamp on at his own discretion <laughs> That's and so we had this like you know eerie backlit weird thing and then you know the table lamp would click on <laughs> 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 yeah, I was going to say, like, that's a hard one for like, I mean, you know, Henry and I have played, uh, you know, dozens of shows. Yeah. And it's like, you know, lighting is really important when you're on stage, especially if you're playing guitar, you know, you want to be able to see your fretboard. Yeah. Um, I mean, how to how do guys even do that? You know, well, I always black? say, yeah. And I say that there's two different shows, you know, there, there's the sort of show that the audience sees. And then there's the show that you as the musician feel. I mean, I, okay, I've, I've right. been in so many arguments with Ben Kenny, the bass player from Incubus about the light, not yeah. hitting them. Cause he sees right. the circle like down in front of him, but like, it's just hitting him from the waist up. But he thinks like the circle should be behind his feet, you know? And it's like, right. that's, that's that argument. So it's like, I have to stand there and let him walk out in the house and see it. Like, Oh, actually it's just a really tight silhouette, but gotcha. um, yeah. yeah, you know, and, and so being a musician, I, I get it. Like I, I always go up and check out the scene and, you know, we add little systems of fill light and, you know, to sort of make it happen. So, you know, if you're, if you're in complete blackness, you're balanced. And then as we start adding backlight, I got to add the same similar amount of front light so that you're balanced, right? Like if you're getting blinded right. from the front, right? Like we have to fill it all in to make it happen. But the great players, you know, they're like, do whatever you want, you know? Yep. And then the not so great players, uh, they're just jumping around while we turn up the track anyway. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yep. It's all back in tracks yeah. to sync, sync to visuals, <laughs> uh, which as long as we're talking a little sort of techie stuff, one of the things is I was kind of looking through what you do that <clears throat> um, kind of blows my mind. And I would love for you to try to, even if you have to super dumb it down to try to explain is something that you've been doing where, and, and of course others are doing as well, but the idea of making virtual visuals sync with something that's happening in a physical space, taking real, you know, real physical lights in, in a room, but then also bringing in external elements. Maybe those are lights. Maybe those are some sort of hologram, whatever it is. And then making those things sort of appear cohesive and not jarring to me, the viewer, like what, what's going on with that? Like, how do you, how do you even approach something like that? Well, it, it was years ago. It was really difficult because we would, you know, work in a, an editing software and, you know, we would get things lined up with timing and, you know, speech and, and stuff. And it just, you're slipping sort of tracks around, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. But nowadays, you know, it's more about, and the, the probably the most relevant example to your listeners would be like the Mandalorian, right? So we're using oh, yeah. big screen surfaces with the, the geometry on it in real time and capture, instead of doing it on a green screen, we're just capturing mm-hmm. the virtual footage with the subject. And so, you know, same thing, like now we put in what we're calling, so imagine there's a backplate, which is like the virtual scenery, You've got the subject, which is the actor or the musician or the performer. And then we have a thing which we call the front plate, which is like augmented reality objects in front of the, the performer or the subject. And so, mm-hmm. but the light, the trick to it is the lighting. So yeah, right. that, that thing has to, as the camera moves, the reflections and the way the, the lighting, you know, specular hits happen has to all get there, otherwise you enter into this, you know, the uncanny kind of area where it looks fake and done wrong. And so, you know, as technology progresses, you know, we're getting to the point there where we've got studios set up and we actually, you know, we'll have an overhead screen with like a big piece of frost on it and we play back the content just to get like the streetlight reflections in somebody's glasses or something, oh, right? You know? Wow, okay. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of trickery and a lot of like time spent to sort of composite the shot and, you know, working with the, the director and those kind of things. So, you know, it's probably not into the live performance space yet. Like it's still all mm-hmm. viewed on a screen, whether it's a TV or a computer or a phone yeah, or, you sure. know, whatever. You know, everybody wants Tupac at Coachella, but Tupac right. at Coachella didn't look that great. And there's a reason why <laughs> we're not there yet, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that's, you know, that's the, the way the tech is all kind of moving yeah. along is like less post production, more pre production, but being able just to, the thing that you're filming is the, you know, that we're working on a, a shoot next week where we're not putting in an led floor. Cause we've been doing, you know, the floor is also a screen that the performer is walking on. Sure. But for this one, yeah. it's more of like a motorcycle thing. We're just putting in dirt and then, you know, depth of fielding out the background, which is just LED walls. Oh, wow. Wild. Yeah. Shit blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and as a, and as I mean, I'm, I'm a big old nerd. And one of those things, the ways that manifests is through my gaming. And, mm. and one of the sort of big, like, buzzwordy things especially with the new generation of consoles that's about to hit is ray tracing and, yeah. and like the ability to ray trace light is that something that's also playing into what you're doing with with the productions that you create yeah absolutely i mean you know more so on the vi- so a lot of times we will get you know like let's let's dissect a fallout boy or a train or panic or we you know one of the bands so you know we'll get a song and we'll have kind of the staging looks we'll know where the screens if they're movable screens we'll know what position they're in and you know so ray tracing i mean in our studio we have 21 graphics cards distributed rendering power (laughs) you know all available on the network for gpu rendering and then we've Mm -hmm. got 144 cores of cpu rendering uh, in a distributed system just because there's a, a few looks that we still do that are more cpu based um, I feel like I should insert like the the Tim the Toolman Taylor grunt. Yeah, right. After you talk about all that. that, that <laughs> yeah, right but there. like you know, ray tracing is really heavy just because of the yeah, numbers right. that it has to crunch. I mean, you know, two days ago they announced the three thousand series cards or the thirty series cards, yep. and take three PCI slots, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, we're trying to to figure all of that out. Um, 
you know, a fun project I recently worked on uh, as just a subcontractor for another animation studio, but was for Fox Sports. And we put virtual fans in the baseball parks, right? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. I was definitely going to ask <laughs> you about it. I want to talk about that, too. I want to know, know what's going on with that because I still don't really understand yeah. that. Yeah, so... So in, in a game, right, like, and I, I think in a video game, it's easy to understand the camera is kind of like your first person, right? So think about knowing where that camera is in that scene. So if you, like, go to the left, the camera obviously pans left, right? So for the sports world, we put uh, encoders on the tripods and the zoom and focus motors so that we know we get that information back. We know where the camera's looking and then in our virtual scene, we just have that same camera. And so we can draw, like if the camera zooms to the outfield, you know, seats, we, we also, the virtual camera zooms, we can render that picture. And then we just do it on alpha. So what the camera's seeing is the empty seats. We stick the people over the top. And then some magic trickery between, remember I brought up front plate, back plate. So... All of mm -hmm. the people are front plates, so we either have to paint out the seats that would be over the top of the yeah. the uh, athletes, baseball players, or we have to try to like composite half of it into the back plate, half of it into the front plate, and uh -huh. then, and that's crazy because that takes for each camera at the park, it takes uh, one like machine. Each you know each camera has a dedicated you know like. 10 core i9 with a 2080 you know or probably a quadro p6000 in it you know an sdi card so in in the tv truck where we're working there's 12 compute you know 12 ten thousand dollar computers <laughs> kind of yeah. all running and you know on a 10 gig network moving all that data around. wild yeah but you know, it, I mean, as as a total meatball, uh, it's it is cool to see stuff like that happening. Even just like the audio being piped in, being based around like whatever MLB the show. Like it does yeah. in the in this sort of pandemic environment, it does create a more interesting I'm, vi uh, visual experience. Yeah, I'm officially used to it, man. I, I've I've watched a few games now, and I'm like, all right, now it's just kind of part of the game. I'm I'm into it. I was I was kind of against it at first, the whole sound thing, but it's cool now. I think. Well, and you know what's what's funny to me is like if we think about if we parlay this back to like a music act where we're trying to get the branding for the whole tour to be, you know, cohesive. What, mm -hmm. and it's really, you know, you're just following your customer's sort of experience, right? So like, imagine if the thing that they hear when their enjoyment time, when they're playing baseball is the same thing that they hear when they're watching baseball. Like I, mm -hmm. I just think it's smart from a marketing and PR standpoint. And you yeah, know, yep. the reason that they did it is because it all existed and it was readily available. <laughs> absolutely you know? yeah that's yeah true. yeah dude st sticking on the the meatball train here uh i know you've also done or do i'm not exactly sure the stats of that work with um the live experience of being at a chicago bears game what is what do you what, do you, what is the, what is your involvement with that look like how did that happen well, <laughs> um so a friend of mine does all the sideline audio and the the big like i forget what they're called parabolic mics um mm -hmm and the wireless for all the Bears game day. And there was a year, uh, 2017, that they kind of shit the bed. And there was an iconic Tribune photographer that took a picture of, like, they, they used to have this big inflatable bear that the players would run out yeah. of. Oh, I know. I've, I've seen that a bunch of times. Yeah, and so, like, at the end, so, like, at the end of the season that year, the Trib just had, like, it was, like, Bears deflated. 
And so, <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly yeah, and it was like, you know, when they were like that. taking it down, you know, it was all uh-huh. like mooshed up or whatever. So, um, House Hall reached out to my friend and said, hey, you know, we need to come up with a new player intro. Look what Philly's doing. Look what they do at the Super Bowl. Look what, you know, all these like other, all the easy stuff it is to do with a designer when a band's like, hey, look at all these other bands on Instagram and uh, come yep. up with something completely unique and nothing like exactly what I'm showing you. Um, so, you know, we kind of looked at it. There's a lot of, uh, sticking points to doing that work. You know, like there's one company that the NFL oddly in Canton, Ohio, that makes wheels that are the only wheels that the NFL allows to touch the grass on game day. And so you got to like buy these wheels for $1,200 a wheel. And we needed like 30. Holy shit. Yeah. It's a total, it's a total racket. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But so, you know, the idea was, it, let's bring it more media, you know, Soldier Field's renovation now, it's crazy to think about it, but it's 17 years old. And yeah. the, the tech, you know, they have the big sort of end zone screens, but there's nothing down around the, the field. So we just kind of created a little world for them to run out of and to do some animations. And it's a little more stripped down than the original plan, just because that's how the process goes. But Um, It was really fun. And, you know, it doesn't look like much in the stadium, but the camera view from the locker room out to the field looks really exciting and colorful and lots of animated content, you know, moving on around. So, you know, it's funny because they wanted to replicate the experience for like the Cowboys have, which, you know, they have a a much newer stadium and like a sort of a thought through thing. They're like, hey, take this cinder block loading dock (laughs) and transform it into something, (laughs) you know? Right. so is that kind of like a, a one-time thing or, or is that something like you, you sort of install it and that's what it is or, or is it kind of an ongoing so we, consultation? Yeah, so we did the creative on it and, um, you know, obviously the mechanics of it are figured out and working. It was a five-year contract and then we just supply the, the updated graphics and we actually don't do a ton because they um, the Bears have an in-house, a really great editor named Romel. Hey, Romel. Um, and... Uh, you know, so we just kind of like help him get his stuff from A to B okay. and yeah. yeah, and maintenance it and do the thing. But yeah, it's all, uh, it's all pretty, you know, cool and fun. And it was a, you know, for a dude that used to, you know, hit strobe hits for, you know, incubus, it was, you know, it's kind of cool. Every, everything that I do that's like outside of the realm of being a lighting guy, I'm always like, I can't believe that this dude from michigan can do this <laughs> yeah that's a really cool story man yeah and and so and i think you've touched on pretty much one of the the sort of main last things i wanted to get into is that with your company so midwest mm. i know that that's something that's happened with you guys where it's it i think you're known as this sort of in-demand lighting visual designer but it's it seems pretty obvious to me that you you have moved into this more sort of multimedia uh, multi kind of um, discipline sort of field. So like what, what have there been any sort of major growing pains for you with that? Like, has that been been a tough transition? Uh, It's not, I wouldn't say it's tough. I I keep my eyes open and and just try to keep my mind open to like the process, but you know, it's a completely different world than what I learned, you know, coming up through the, the concert touring thing, both in terms of like, Mm -hmm you know, scheduling and how you pay people. Like if I go and hire a hot animator, you know, like there's a hold system for them. So like you call and you're like, well, I'll definitely put you on hold. 
it's like, cool, well then pay me a quarter of my day rate for, you know, a quarter of the project. Yeah. And you're like, well, I don't even know if we're playing that song in a set. You know, it's like a lot of like impossible things to try and figure out. Um, but, you know, just navigating the way that it works and then trying to put together the unrealistic timeline that a lot of shows come together in. You know, like someone like Ariana Grande might have the budget to rehearse for a month in an arena, you know, and like literally dial every frame and every sound effect yeah. and every pyro hit and everything. Someone like a Fall Out Boy may have the money to do it. They just don't want to do it. <laughs> so, you know, mm -hmm. they like will try to put it together much quicker. And, you know, so you just you're you're trying to manage, you know, people who are not used to that world and bringing them into that world. And then, you know, same thing, like working in film and television is a much different sort of, you know, needs and expectations and timelines. Um, it's obviously way easier than the, uh, you know, concert touring world. So we, we really enjoy it. And then, you know, we do some, you know, we kind of have a thing around here where I try to say one for the meal, one for the real, right? So like for every cool project that I'll tell somebody about when I'm meeting them at a party, We've done, you know, more projects where it's like lighting up CT scanners in a trade show, you know, right, but, yeah, right. but you know, it, it, we're keeping people employed and, you know, so Midwest is in itself kind of a dumb, weird thing that, you know, I, in 2007 was searching for a name for the company and, um, was just like really stuck. I didn't want to like, just be like RJ enterprises or, you know, some yeah, dumb right. thing and like, you know. Um, there's some other great names out there, but like, they're all taken and, you know, like I just, it's not, that's not my thing. You know, even way back when, you know, we were searching for a band name and we put our, we just opened up a dictionary and put our finger down on a word and we were like, oh, yeah. dude, Titanus, we are Titanus. And we were like, <laughs> we were Titanus for like a few weeks. And then my friend, friend Randy's mom, who was like studying to become a nurse, was like, why is your band called Tetanus? And we were like, oh my uh, god, yeah. So you know, the naming thing has been a weird thing. So yeah, I was actually seeing, uh, I think it was Hot Water Music at the Empty Bottle around 2006 or seven, and I was walking out, and there was a little one-inch pinback button on the ground, and I just looked down, and I, I like picked it up, and I just was like, you know, it was like a crisp fall night, and you didn't hate Chicago yet, and you were like, right. you know, you just saw an amazing band, an amazing place, and you know, Elliot's mix destroyed your ears and you're like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I just, I just went for it and, you know, it's so people are like, what, what is this dumb thing? But what it's become, you know, it's like a full fledged company with multiple employees. And, you know, now the, the craziest thing is when people say it, like it's a, like a real thing. Like I, you know, that's just a tax shelter, right? It's not like a real, <laughs> right. you know, but we have a studio in Logan square. We, you know, there's uh, health insurance. You could, I have a, I fucking employee handbook, you know? Oh, like, wow. <laughs> yeah. HR and everything. Yeah. Things have, things have, have definitely evolved quite a bit since, and actually one of my sort of favorite stories to tell, and I've told Dave this probably a couple times. <laughs> I remember years ago, uh, you inviting me to a Halloween party at your place when you oh, still yeah. lived over in Wicker Park. And, um, and so like the way you and I had first met is you were dating somebody that I had known since like high school yeah. or whatever. And, and I remember her inviting, like sending me the text and it's like, by the way, this, like this band is going to be there and like, don't make a big deal out of it or whatever. And I, and I hadn't, I, I don't think I'd even heard of them at that point. And 
and but another buddy of mine, John Alvin, who I was bringing with, was like, "Wait, Paramore is gonna be there?" Yeah. And I was just like, "I don't know what that means, but like, <laughs> cool." And there, you know, it was just like a small sort of like twenty person Halloween party or something. But then, like now looking back, of course, it like Haley's just this like giant super megastar, and she was just like this cool girl dressed up as Wayne with a with a Garth. Yeah. Wayne, or no, she was she was Garth, and then someone else was Wayne from Wayne's World. Yeah. Well, so, my, like, you, my I mean, you're my roommate at the time, uh, and that was actually a funny thing. Is like it was twenty oh seven, and I was really burned out, and I had gotten a call to do that, and I was like, I just can't do it. I mean, I, we had just done like eighteen months with Incubus on the Light Grenades cycle. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I've never, you know, we get a lot of calls for like the next great thing. And I'll actually tell you a story about the next great thing after this. But so, yeah, so my friend Chad Peters, you know, still best friend of this day was doing it. He lives in Denver now. And what, I don't know if you remember this, but we had to get fucking high C juice boxes for them because they were like 18. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. That's oh, hilarious. Man. Yeah. Yeah. We miss that division apartment, man, all the time. Like. We had cool spot, epic, for sure. epic parties, you know, the, when we used to show the movie Step Up and we would get a projector from our friend and shoot it on that building above right on Futon or whatever. Oh, the yeah. yeah. And then, you know, they would all just be like flipping us off because there was a bright light shining in their window. And we're like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> and that, that would be on the roof of the Chopin Theater. And the guy would like come up. And he's like, you have too many people on my roof. And we would just pull the ladder up. So he couldn't come up there. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you didn't have a you didn't have a company for him to come after at that point. Did no, you? Yeah. I didn't. Have, I was just a light dude. But yeah, no, that's. Well, uh, you, said, you said there was another sort of like cool thing that like uh, happened uh, that you were going to tell us. Well, story. it's not cool, but it's it's an interesting story. So yeah. you know, it's one of those like, oh, if I could only. So I did a show, a, uh, a series of shows for T Pain. Uh, it was like Car- cool. Carbondale, UI, like uh, Champagne, like six shows. And the producer, who will rename Nameless, you know, I, I never got paid. I still don't think I got paid to this day for Damn. it. Damn. Um, so about two, three months later, he calls me. He's like, he's out of Atlanta. And he's like, dude, I got the, dude, this, you're going to want to work on this. This thing's fucking huge. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I, the last thing didn't go well, and you still haven't paid me. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll fucking pay you. Don't worry. Oh, sorry for swearing. But, um, oh, it's, fuck, oh, it's fucking, uh, right on. It's fucking perfect. <laughs> uh, I'm actually can't, I probably have sworn already, just didn't think about it. But um, <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, you know, I just, I can't, I don't trust you, and it seems a little crazy. He's like, no, dude, this kid, he's going to be fucking huge. He's a Canadian kid. He's going to, I mean, she's probably going to oh, take over man. the world. It turned out, you know, I basically said, fuck you to Justin Bieber and was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> all over, funny, all over like two grand, not getting paid for a T-Pain right. six shows. Oh my God. So that could have been more trouble than it's worth. I don't know. That, I, you might, I would have dodged a bullet with that one. Yeah, I think I would have taken the trouble. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one to turn down. Yeah. Of course, with hindsight. Yeah. Uh, Dude, well, all right. Last question here. We've already sort of talked about kind of like the, the evolution transition where things have gone. From your perspective, as someone that's you know got your finger on the pulse, uh, do you can you do you have any ideas of what you think maybe the sort of next? You know, obviously this augmented reality thing's happening. The sort of hologram, whatever you call it. Like, do you are you looking to the future? To is there anything else that you're excited about that you see coming up that you could see as being sort of like the next big change in this world? Uh, I mean, you know, the technology is constantly evolving. I think, you know, we have an onus to make the fan experience, you know, be better. You know, Mm -hmm. the audio fidelity needs to be better at all seats of the house. 
the visual fidelity needs to be better for all seats of the house. The, you know, we need to streamline the parking and the, you know, the, the crazy thing. I mean, this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion amongst my peers, but in a way, this reset that we're sort of going through, I mean, shows are going to be smaller, right? Yeah. Pe yeah. People aren't going to have the budgets. I mean, I, I don't know if you've talked about it because I haven't listened to all the episodes, but you know, Live Nation went back and tried to renegotiate all the deals with people basically to make it how it was if you were a band in the 60s, like just a split of the door. <laughs> mm -hmm. right, you know, there's, right. no, there's no like mega huge guarantees and that's going to roll into our world because it's those that guaranteed contract money that allows somebody without ever making a drop of income to spend a few million dollars on the pre getting the production together. So yep. I'm actually pretty poised and excited because... It's not going to be the constant like, oh, you got to have the next best thing, next best thing. It's really going to be flexing the art and using the tools that already exist and that these companies already own in new right. and exciting ways and, you know, just trying to be there. It's also going to thin out. I think some of the competition people are going to have, you know, stop trying to do this and go do other things or, yeah. you know, whatever. So, I mean, our focus right now is just on trying to make it, you know, I, mm -hmm. um, we did, we were crushed up until like March 3rd, you know, we did like, right. uh, just amazing amount of work up until then. And I basically just said in the middle of April, like, look, I'm not going to take any profit out of those projects that would normally go into my pocket. Right. Like I'm, a, I'm just a salaried employee of, at a pretty low rate. And then at the end of the year, what is it left? It just goes to the one stockholder of the company and that's me, you know, mm -hmm. but I, my employees, I have, you know, they're, decent amount, like decently compensated, you know, top talent kind of folks. So I said, it's important for me to keep them. So I'm going to roll the profits into making that happen. And, mm -hmm. you know, because the, the, my biggest fear is that when it comes back and I don't know how our business is going to navigate this, but everybody can't go on tour at once <laughs> because yeah, the man. audience will just be fatigued, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why train pushed their thing into 22. Cause they were like, right. you know, we can, and, you know, it, you know, we were working with this uh, young artist, Alec Benjamin, and we're pretty far down the process of putting the show together. And, you know, they were like, okay, we're going to book for the, the fall. And then the manager calls me and he's like, oh, we're talking to, you know, some, and they were playing like Metro and Vic size places. Dude, they were getting like 18th and 19th holds, you know, on places, which it's like, I don't know if you Holy know how the hold shit. process works, but yeah. like. Yeah, you know, so I'm like, even then, that's that was insane. So there's going to have to be kind of a, you know, if, if your average concert consumer goes to 20 shows a year, you know, that's probably like a rabid fan, but your like average person might go see like The Stones and then maybe two yeah, or three right. like Vic or Chicago yeah. theater type things. So, you know, if everybody's just out there at once, you know, and everybody's going to be really hungry, obviously, so, you know, I'm curious how we're going to do it. And then on the production sort of support side, a, a banging year for us is, you know, six tours <laughs> and mm -hmm. a host of the other stuff that we've done. That's basic, you know, that's all I ever would aspire to do. You know, I can't staff up to the point where we can do more than that, nor would I want to, because I just, I wouldn't be able to do anything. 
you know, except for that. Well, and, that, and that's not going to last forever either. After this glut of of tours come through, right. and everyone, it does have this hunger. Well, then it, it or uh, hunger, it's going to go back to some sort of cl- similar situation to what it was before. And then all of a sudden, now you've got all this overhead, right? Yep. And then you know, same thing. Like our friend, one of the clients we work with is a, a band called Chevelle. Uh, they're from the northern suburbs here. Oh yeah, they had a, a string of hits, um, early two thousands, mid two thousands. Um, actually, weirdly enough, they just sent me uh, a double platinum record award for uh, Vera Cena, which was one of their albums, and I was like, "Holy cow! That's I never that's no, cool. had had no idea that it ever sold that much." But absolutely, yeah. Me not. yeah. But you know, uh, funny story with them. So I was actually at just a, a motorcycle meetup, uh, Two Wheel Tuesdays, <laughs> and um, this dude was there, and we were talking and. I was like, yeah, I do this. And he's like, oh, I'm a drummer in a band. And I was immediately just kind of like shy away. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, here we go. <laughs> here it comes. Yeah, yeah right. And then, so like, I just didn't pay it much attention. And then I kind of walked away. And then someone came up and asked him for his autograph. And I was like, oh, weird. So I kind of moseyed back over and was like, well, what's your band called? And he was like, Chevelle. And I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, I obviously know who you are, <laughs> being, yeah, you know, yeah. being my age. And like that song was everywhere. And you know yep. stuff and so like but sam the drummer is one of my best bestest friends and it wasn't we were friends for i don't know a long time before you know he was like hey you know we i don't want to mix the peas and the carrots but like you're good at what you do and you know we would want you to do it for us and i was like well let's try to figure it out because i don't want to mix the peas and the carrots either yeah, yeah. but like i don't i don't want to see you suffer and the reason that i bring the them up at all is that they were fighting Joe Barisi, the producer, was like on retainer to do the the Tool album, right? And it like took like yeah. you know twenty billion years to do it because they were record like a phrase a week or something. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, so they were kind of like flying out to LA to do their record in between breaks and stuff. But they have a fully mixed, ready to go record in the can, and don't know what to do with it because it was like finished being mastered in May. Oh, wow! You know, it's yeah, like how do you? Like, if you just release it to what? To no fanfare? To no, you know... You can't to, support it. Yeah, to yeah, what can't end? can't exactly. Yeah. So, and I can't even imagine for your other listeners out there that might be in bands, like, w- do you even like the album in a couple of years? You know, like, at most of the bands right, we work with, it. they, like, hate... Yeah, yeah. they're, like, on to the next thing. Right. So... I don't. I don't have the answer. I don't remember what the original question yeah. was, but <laughs> uh, you, know. you answered something. That's for sure. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. I well, think, that yeah. was. Uh, that was honestly. Thank you so much for not only just sharing all the super cool stories and behind the scenes stuff, but also dealing with my clear um, lack of any real uh, understanding of <laughs> yeah. the, of that world and kind of um, dumbing it down for yeah. us and our listeners. No, I I think, mean, I, honestly, I, I truly think it's a it's a, a beneficial listen for anybody to learn, especially if you're a concert goer and, and just like have never really thought about that side of things. Yeah, no, I mean, know that just about everything that happens at a show has been like, you know, and I, I embrace this in, as you say, some of the nerd part and then like sort of hate it from just like a pure artist part you know like i remember watching you know being in the dressing room at the park west watching steve albini like be mean to the dudes in slint because you know they were like capitalizing on a thing and i'm like yeah but you know they should fucking be able to make money too you know like exactly 
You know, they th- just because his ethos is one way doesn't mean that it's the right one for everyone. Yeah, not everybody's. And I'm and I'm a huge Steve Albini fan and of his work. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily like views or opinions, but like I'm a I'm just a fan and his band, you know. But like, yeah, he has, he has a lot of opinions that don't necessarily align with mine. Yeah, no, and I, you know, I've never really, you know, we had that like weird tussle on the forum a super long time yeah, ago, right. but like, and then you know, it's so funny because a lot of my friends will come and record there and uh and do things and you know and it's like and i live i don't know less than two thousand feet away from his studio and um yeah so but it's just everything that you know you as an audience viewer it's all been premeditated and we're trying to figure out the analytics and how to, to to refine it and you know hopefully in the name of good and not just like you know being able to like target add a text to you as you get to your car sure you know, and and I think, right. but enhancing the you know experience at that level, and then you know what I get excited for is for some of that tech to matriculate down. You know, like allowing a band that's in a trailer that's playing at the metro to you know do something. It, it's got to be cohesive and fitting. You know, just it can't just be like super dope for the sake of being super dope, unless it right. is. But you know, just allowing that technology to kind of stream down because. I feel like if you went and saw just a bunch of static flashing like white, blue, and green lights at you know Joe's on Weed Street now, you're just kind of like, ah, I got ripped off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's so. not the full experience that you've you've been sort of spoiled with elsewhere. Yeah, but then I sort of hate it because I would not have wanted to see like you know hot water music at the empty bottle, you know, with full production. Yeah, exactly. like projection mapping <laughs> going on fit. in their rigs or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's got to it's got to fit the overall yeah. vibe. Yeah, but I really appreciate you guys well, having yeah. someone like me on. Yeah, and it's important oh, to get dude, the message awesome, out. Thank you man. so much. Yeah, and perfect. and and again, so where um if you want if people out there want to check out what you do or, or get in contact with you, maybe hire you. Where would you send them on the web? Uh, so Midwest dot com. It's just uh, so Midwest dot com, and we're on the uh you know I'm always fighting like. We're a big enough company that we should probably pay a social media manager, but I don't, I've never had like a, a client be like, oh, you know, I saw you on Instagram. So we don't, you know, we have socials. We try to put interesting stuff up on there, but I, you know, I think my dog has more followers than my company. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that's Instagram right there for you. Yeah, that's it. All right, guys. Well, hey, thank you so much again. Yeah, that was thank super you, awesome. Really appreciate and, uh, it. Very interesting. You know, yeah. Be well. Stay I hope, safe. I hope to run into you on the other side of all this stuff. Uh, it's, we're going to have to one of these days. Yeah, for yeah sure. man. Right on. All Appreciate right, fellas. It. All right. Later.